Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins. I am sitting here on my computer speaking to you fine people from episode number 44. Our guests this week are, I always say are, it's like the royal we. Anyways, my guest this week for you, Scott Vogel from the band Terror. And uh, for any of you that have ever paid attention to independent music, you probably are aware of the name. More on him in a moment. Propertyofzack.com is a great site. They uh, have been receiving a lot of notoriety as of late in regards to all their reporting on Fallout Boy. And um, yeah, it's pretty awesome to see a site like Property of Zach be cited in like the New York Times and US Today, USA Today and a bunch of other crazy stuff. But uh, regardless, it just shows the type of reporting that they're doing. So um, go to that site, get up to date with what's happening with your favorite bands or bands you hate, either or, um, and be in the know because everybody likes to be in the know. So uh, yeah, visit their site. We are proud to be working with them. Go to the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. I post cool shit I find on the internet on a almost daily basis, and uh, yeah, it's fun. You can correspond with the show that way. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, email the show. I've been having some fun discussions with people over email um, that either say my podcast is stupid and you should try to get better quality mics or whatever. But no, in all honesty, I have been appreciating all of the feedback I've been getting from people. Um, and it's awesome. And people are even nice enough to like want to help. And it's awesome. And I appreciate that. Um, you can also review the show. We're getting, I want to get to a hundred, a hundred reviews on iTunes. We're getting close. We have like 77. Um, and when I say reviews, I mean star rankings. So two seconds, pop in there, tell how many stars you think the show's worth. And if you want to spend like a minute and a half writing something, I do appreciate that. I obsessively check it and I read it. And there's been like two or three reviews over the past like few weeks. And that's awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, and I appreciate any time a person's like, Ray is awesome. Thumbs up. Thank you. You don't need to say that. You can just talk about the show, but I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. There's a lot of appreciation going on here. Um, and then one last final bit of business. This week, more particularly this weekend, the Feb- February 23rd, if you are in the Southern California area, you should come hang out at the Glass House in Pomona. My old band Taken is doing a reunion show. We're brushing the dust off, and we're going to get up there on the stage and play some songs that we know. Um, it's all for a good cause, though. Um, the old sound guy at Chain Reaction, he uh, tragically passed away last summer, the summer of 2012, uh, and his wife was pregnant with uh, a daughter. And she is born, uh, I think, in early February. And so the show is to benefit her uh, because obviously she doesn't have a father, uh, only a one income as far as a family is concerned, and that is really difficult. So throwing the whole show in celebration of her uh, and to in memory of Christian as well. So sorry, I was just thinking about how I wanted to put that. But uh, yeah, so come to the show, The Glass House of Pomona, February 23rd. Other bands are Hello Goodbye, Dakota, Roy English. It's a random show. Like, I will 100% admit that. But it's for a good cause. And uh, yeah, you can come hang out. And I mean, it shows cheap. Like, there's just no reason that you shouldn't be there. So fucking go. Um, 
Scott Vogel. He is an amazing dude. Um, like he's so ubiquitous within like the hardcore punk scene that it's like, I don't even know how to describe the guy, but basically he is the vocalist for some of your favorite bands. He currently sings in a band called terror used to sing in a band called Slugfest back in the day, used to sing in a band called Despair, also played in a band called Buried Alive. He is what I like to call a lifer. And um, yeah, so I, I went to his house. We talked for a long time. And this was actually the day that I went over was the day that they were releasing the news that they had signed to Victory Records. So it was really interesting because Scott was like, some weird shit's going to go down today, man. And so he kind of told me, and I was like, wow, that's definitely going to cause a lot of people being like, what the shit is happening? So, uh, yeah, Victory Records, for those that don't know, um, you know, they were a very large mainstay within the hardcore scene, and then, you know, the label got gigantic with bands like Hawthorne Heights and Taking Back Sunday. Whatever. You can do the research. You know what's up. Um, but anyways, yeah, Scott was very candid and revealing, and uh, we discussed his uh, his life and all his trials and tribulations and uh, ultimately is what led him to where he's at currently um but above all it's like his persona of how he is on stage uh definitely doesn't translate to how he is as a person um he's still completely positive and uh you know engaging as a person but he's just not as uh whatever we talk about misconceptions in this interview so you'll get it anyways i could go on for a long time about him but i won't um so yeah, check out the discussion. I fucked up and I didn't record like the first maybe five minutes of our conversation. Um, so you'll join us maybe at a point where, um, you know, we're basically we're talking about his parents and he was raised in the upstate New York area and all that type of stuff. So um, yeah, that, I think that's the only information that you will miss, but that's it. So, you know, humans, we make errors. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't record the first few minutes. But fortunately, I caught it then as opposed to the end of the interview. I said, thanks, Scott. And I was like, oh wait, I don't have anything. So here you go. Here's Scott Vogel. And I will talk to you afterwards. to move on from like did, did your dad was was he kind of just I, trying to check out i don't know yeah yeah uh uh there was no at that point because when we get we'll get later i'll tell you what happened but at sure. that point there was no question we were staying with my mom I, I don't know his take on it but right 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 it, and I, I just it was and i remember like because I, I often do think of like all right how different would have my life have been if like my father won custody and I was raised by him, like I ended up having a good relationship with him, like later on down the line. Right. But like, do you, do you, do you, does that thought ever cross your mind where it's like, wow, what if my dad was like, you know, what if my dad was like what my mom was to me now? Well, let me give you this. Please give Spin. it. Spin. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, my dad gets remarried okay. to, to this lady okay. and they, she has a, son from a previous marriage so my stepbrother okay um so i'm with my mom up until uh 5th 6th grade okay um 6th grade my mom goes to her high school reunion okay <laughs> re <laughs> reconnects with some guy okay 
And literally within what seems a month or two, she's like, we're moving to Texas with this guy. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. So... Were you, were you what were you and your sisters like just like I, what the fuck? I don't even know. Right. But, <laughs> so what happens was my dad comes to us mm-hmm. and I, I gotta be blunt. You yeah. Know? My dad's a little older now and I don't wanna bash him too much, but no, I we would go see him on the weekends and he, he wasn't the nicest person in the world. Right. You did and, I, I'm sure you didn't feel the fatherly love, so to speak. Right. <laughs> he you know I have a bit of a temper, and uh, sometimes I'm very negative. Sure. I, think I got that from him. Oh, okay. But uh, he said to us, you can stay with me if you want. My sisters chose to go with my mom to Texas. Okay. I chose to stay with my dad. Oh, okay. Why? I don't know. I think out of spite. I think I said to my mom, I'm not, you're not taking me to Texas, you know? Got it. And for me, like, as a kid, I don't know what was going on. Well, you do you you don't, especially when it comes to moves, like, it's definitely, I mean, I remember, like, I I moved, I moved, like, you know, from one city in Orange County to another city in Orange County, and I was like, like, <laughs> fucking mom, what are you doing? You're uprooting me, and, like, that feeling of just, like, yeah, if I was given an option. take me to Texas. Right, and that's, I, that's a huge disconnect. So, <laughs> I move in with my dad for seventh, eighth grade high school. Okay. Uh, my brother is the person who, my brother was into like the dead Kennedy. Was that, that was your half brother you yeah, were saying? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Not even half stepbrother. Oh yeah. That's right. Stepbrother. Yeah, so yeah. he's into like black flag and the dead Kennedys and stuff. So I give him all the, the, the props credit or maybe for ruining my life. Right. Right. <laughs> Here, um, here's the door he's opened <laughs> here. You walk through it. So he was into this stuff and, um, was he how, – how much older was he than you? He's a few months younger than me. Oh, okay. Three months younger than me. So uh, – And at, at, like at that time, were you um, – well, one question. Just like did your – was your relationship with your mom kind of severed when you – Fuck yeah. It's okay. never been the same since. Up until then, she was like the best. Right. Not even the best. She was my mom. Right. Yeah. Good mom. Of course. But of course, you know, she didn't let me stay out late enough and stuff like that. And I wasn't the best kid. So sure. And my whole life was sports. And I listened to like Motley Crue and rap, like hair metal. Right. Well, because that's what was happening at the time. Yeah. And some some hip hop stuff like like or rap at the time, like old rap, like Run DMC and Houdini and stuff like that. Sure. Sure. So. My mom dropped me off at my dad's. I maybe I was bluffing, you know. She she knew more than me that my dad wasn't probably the best place for me to go. Right. She dropped me off. She went to Houston. I lived there for uh, six years. Right. Like, yeah. Maybe in her head she was just like, he. Maybe she thought it. I was bluffing. Right. Like maybe she's like she's like all right. In two weeks, Scott's gonna call me up like crying and being like, okay, I I made a mistake. Like. I need to go to Texas. I think I'm too stubborn for that. <laughs> yes. So, I was going to say, it doesn't sound like your personality, the way you're describing yourself. So, yeah, we just lived with my dad. Right, right. Dealt with him. So, did you uh, Did you visit your mom or your sisters at all? I went there like once or twice. The funny thing is, within a year, she was done with the guy and... That was going to come back? With the post office, she transferred back to Fredonia, which is like... If you ever driven from Buffalo to Erie, oh yeah, it's, it's in, in the middle. It's the middle. So sure, she was sure. like an outs, hour outside of Buffalo. By the time it took for a while to get back, though. Right, like, right. So within a, a couple of years, she was back, but 
I think in my head, I was like, fuck her. She left me. Right, right, right. And I was dealing with my dad, which wasn't the funnest thing. Right. You're like, I'm, I'm doing my thing already. I don't even need this to distract me. Good part. The only good part is, you know, my brother got me into music. Like, eighth grade, you know, seventh and eighth grade living there. I was, you know... Still kind of into sports, kind of being a bad kid, getting what sort of yeah, like smoking so, weed and stuff. Right. What? Well, well, I mean, walk me through like because obviously you're you're, I mean, junior in high school is usually the formative years in which you know you start to figure your shit out. So like, what sports were you playing? Everything. Okay. Anything Base, to get your hands baseball, on? Baseball, basketball, football. Uh, were you playing like cross one year? Oh wow. Um, like all organized though, like yeah. And and were you playing like prior to that? Like did you do little Always. league and everything? Okay, especially basketball. Like when when I lived with my mom, I played on so many basketball leagues that <laughs> I'd have to play myself. Like I'd have to choose what team because I I loved basketball. Yeah, I was I was good at it. Really? So what position was, did you play? Guard usually. Yeah, yeah. Guard. I was gonna say you're not, but. And guard was like you could score a lot. So. Right, you're like I get to, I get to the hold the ego ball. Ego got met. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I was just into sports. When I lived with my mom, I was just into sports and like being a kid, like oh well, yeah, know, like, doing dumb stuff, stealing beer. Drink. I can remember being like a little kid and stealing. I was never meant to be straight edge. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stealing like liquor, like wine from my mom, hiding in the woods and drinking it and stuff. And, and was that more? Was that more of a um, like you were doing that to you know act out, be rebellious, or was it like the group of friends that you were with? They were all kind of like doing this type of tomfoolery. Uh, both. Okay. Both. <laughs> Got it. So. Yeah, sports and fucking yeah, yeah. Hair, Be, hair rock. Right. And the I think it's interesting that you like like you said, you know, sneak out the woods and drink. Like I definitely think even though Buffalo, like it's a large city, it's still smaller where I think that like that experience is definitely um more of a a smaller town experience where it's just like you know, you're bored. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived in the suburbs. Not until I was on my own, I never lived in the city. Right, right, right. Always on the outskirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't hear me talk about the streets too much. In my right there. <laughs> <laughs> the streets. Yeah, that's true. But the uh, so I mean, do you think a lot of it also has to do with boredom, where you're just like you, there was nothing to do after sports, or yeah, you're just a kid, you know? Right. Just a fucking sticking around, dumb white kid trying to figure out who you are, you know? Like, right, right, right. And so you're. Um, yeah, junior high, like, that's when the music world started to open up for you. And, like, did you, I presume your uh, stepbrother, like, did he, was he the one to take you to, like, your first show and stuff like that? Well, I I had gone to fucking concerts, like, that yeah. shit. And I, I loved it. I loved music. Even even before, like, music, I loved it. Uh-huh. Even before, like, underground music, so. Right. Was it, um, just, like, what did your, how, what did your parents expose you to musically that you were, like? Uh, my parents were into good music. Yeah. Like, uh. I don't know, if, like Billy Joel. My mom, sure. My mom and dad both liked. Uh, Got it. So kind of stuff that... My dad was also into the Grateful Dead, which I can still to this day can't, can't stand. Sure, but sure. But, you know, they were both definitely into music and okay. had vinyl collections and, and stuff like that. Right. I remember my mom's boyfriend at one point mm-hmm. gave me two Black Sabbath records, oh. which was fucking awesome. Right, right. Go, the first vinyl I had were two Black Sabbath records. <clears throat> Kiss Alive 2 that I bought at a garage sale just because probably visually it was the well, same. Of course, right. <clears throat> and then I had like ACDC Back in Black and, and Def Leppard Pyromania. Pyromania, yeah, sure. <clears throat> so 
that stuff. But my my parents were into like some hippie shit, some like folk shit, right? And, well, because that's obviously their like that was their generation sort of like protest music in a way, right? 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 Um. So then, yeah, my brother was like into punk stuff, right? And for me, I went to some punk shows with him. I, I saw the Dead Milkmen. In probably like 1986 or 1987, I saw like the Butthole Surfers. And that's funny because that was like obviously the era where like punk was so strange. Like they didn't know like where they were taking it. Yeah. And I did, you know, I was just, it was brand new to me. And, you know, I was definitely younger for the crowd there. And it was just, it was uh, definitely like getting my feet wet in Mm -hmm. underground music. And, you know, I like, I like the vibe of it, mm-hmm. but the whole punk sound and look to me never appealed to me. Like, right. You, you were whole, like Liberty shit, Spikes. Sure, that, sure. Like that shit was a turnoff to me, mm. but I did go with him and went more with him. And I think because I was attracted to the energy. Right. And then uh, we saw Night Flight, uh, Another State of Mind, the Social Distortion movie. I lo- of course. I loved Another State of Mind, the Social Distortion record for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I saw that movie. It's incredible. And they did the Minor Threat bit, which, you know, they interview Minor Threat. And they show him practicing. And, you know, they, they talk about the straight edge thing, which, again, like I was, I've right. never been straight edge. Right. You're like, I, I don't think I ever will be. <laughs> right. But I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing, but it's not me. Right, right. But it showed them, and they were like shaved heads, yeah, yeah. and like, and that was, I think, the first hardcore band I saw. And right. I think I went and bought their vinyl, mm-hmm. and then uh, I remember a kid, a kid we kind of hung out with, but when he went to a Catholic school, okay, so I didn't go to school with him. He gave me or my brother like a. It was a cassette with uh, Don't Forget the Struggle and Victim and Pain on it. Oh, wow. And that was it. You know, for me... Aesthetically, you were looking for something where it's like you, you saw yourself in it, like in yeah, a way. I, I couldn't... Right. My brother was kind of dressing kind of freaky with combat boots and mohawks. I couldn't... That shit. I never even considered it. Right. I never even like took my hair and went like this to see how it would look. <laughs> It wasn't me. It wasn't right. Gonna be me. I just... I love, I love how that was because usually, you know, when you're a teenager, you're kind of like... Well, if you're exposed to it enough, you're like, well, I might as well try it. But you were like, nope, that's not happening. But once I saw Minor Threat, I I saw that there was this different thing called hardcore. Yeah. And they're still even on the punk side of hardcore. Of course, of course. And then I got that cassette. Right. And I think from like maybe Thrasher and Maximum Rock and Roll, I kind of figured out there was a hardcore scene. Right. So I remember I went to the record store in Buffalo and I bought Home of the Hits? Yeah. Yeah. Spectacular store. One day in one fucking day I bought the No For an Answer seven inch, the Sick of It All seven inch, the Chain of Strength seven inch and the side by side seven inch. Because that's what they had in the course, right, right. And I just picked them up and these dudes had shaved heads and they were jumping. They're probably all X'd up. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know if I know what that I I did probably because from another state of mind, but Right. And that was it. That, yeah, that, that that was your introductory starter pack. That was like that was it. Yeah, from from that point on. From that point on, I would, you know, go go through Maximum Rock and Roll. Yep. If I had nine dollars, I'd order money orders three seven inches of anyone with short hair, right? And a fucking sweatshirt and a champion hoodie, right, right? Or like some dude that looked like a mean skin dude, you know? <laughs> right? Right. Anything like that, I'd mail order it. And so a did lot you, of it was good. Some of the, sometimes you'd get a dud, you know. Yeah, but that was the risk you took when you were mail ordering <laughs> I would blind. Just come home from school, and be like, ah, 
nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then mail order would take like six months. Right, right. You're <laughs> like, I hope I get this. And it's like, obviously, Period. right. The idea of customer service did not exist. <laughs> Unless you're going to send a letter and then get it back eventually three months later. Like, oh, yeah, here's your order. We forgot it. In conjunction with that, like your high school experience, I presume, like, is it one of those things where once music became such an important part, sports kind of got dropped? A hundred percent. Yeah. High school year and I played football, basketball, I think just football and basketball and lacrosse. I went out for the lacrosse team and made it, but I quit. Okay. Maybe that's when. So, yeah, yeah. So like eighth grade that summer, I started getting into hardcore and going to shows. Right. When school started freshman year, I think I just said, fuck everything else and quit. So just- sophomore year nothing just dove right just in music right smoking, that was your identity weed, right being a hardcore kid and <laughs> did you uh working did, stupid jobs right just to be able to get that nine dollars to mail her the seven inches <laughs> like did you care about school at all was it one of those things where you were like no, no. just when, when i was in high school yep i smoked weed in the morning i smoked weed in school right the in I school, lived, like in the bathrooms, like, like to- yeah, I lived, <laughs> anywhere you could. I right. lived on the street next to the school, so if I could sneak home, it was just like weed, right? But it's not. I mean, I smoke weed now a couple times a year, right? I'm right. Drunk and someone has weed. <laughs> yeah, sure, dude, that's cool. But, right. But yeah, at the time, I was just like smoking weed and going to shows, and, and it's 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 funny because obviously, like everything. Uh, within the hardcore scene at that time, like, you know, was so predominantly straight edge. Like that was the reality for sure. And like, that's funny. You were like, it's funny that you were able to identify with all that, but you're just like, well, yeah, that isn't me because I'm already coming to the table, not yeah. being that. And I'm not interested. Yeah. In that. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, yeah. Were the, still, were, were your, a lot of my friends are straight edge. Yeah. And yeah. Then, like the, the kid that, uh, you know, there was one, other hardcore kid in my school he uh-huh. was totally straight edge right uh, got christian it out of course right <laughs> and we did zines together and stuff and uh right yeah i don't know it just yeah just wasn't of interest to you i, I wish right <laughs> did you uh and the like the friends that you were you know being a, a quote-unquote delinquent with were they privy to anything that you were into as far as like you know punk and hardcore like did they have any concept of what it is you're into it's it's weird in high school like i got along with every group of people yeah the like the grateful dead people that sure. were ponchos and tie-dyes the, the deadheads yeah, i yeah. bought weed off them right the few weirdos because i was like i didn't look like a weirdo but i was a weirdo too right and then like uh the nice preppy kids uh-huh i think probably i don't know just maybe because you played some sports played like some those, sports yeah. and went to parties once in a while and stuff so right you know Got along with pretty much everyone. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you're pretty... But they would be like, what is that judge shirt? What does that mean? And I'd be like, it's music. Uh, you know, just like typical. Yeah. Like, oh, kill your mom music. I'd be like, yep, that's exactly what it is. That's kill your mom music? That's incredible. <laughs> I've never heard that description. Like, I, I've usually described it as like, anytime anybody that has no idea what... what independent music is i'm just like oh yeah the stuff that parents hate but like kill your mom music I, that's like perfect i remember in high school when uh metallica mm-hmm. put out the song one oh yeah in the video and like all my like normal jock friends somehow totally got into that yeah yeah and then from that 
at least then they could like relate right to the type of music so then from there they would like occasionally check in on you yeah me. yeah and then they came to a few shows and they were like this stuff's crazy that's interesting yeah yeah they never really took to it well right right they, yeah they never were like but this is what Metallica i'm one definitely got people in my high school open yeah that was like the tipping point a little yeah it wasn't kill your mom anymore right right bang your head your that's head. so funny <laughs> and so when you're uh once you started to kind of you know sophomore year you started to dive into this head first like how was i mean like you mentioned before your relationship with your father was already pretty strained as you moved in like as you were getting into this like did he have any concept and of what you were getting into and like was he terrified when you started to like bring all these records home and uh, they definitely had a concept because me and my brother both played every instrument, so they would have to hear it. And uh, oh, so you at that at that point you were playing like guitar and stuff like that. I played drums. My brother played guitar. Oh, I didn't. I never knew that you you had a, a drumming I background. Got a, I got a little bit of drumming. Interesting. There's a a record by a band called Fade Away. Of course. Um, oh yeah. Of the world. That's right. I, that. I, I totally. I don't know why that left my memory, but yeah. That's okay. A, got it. That the band's pretty good, though. The band's pretty good. Got it. Um, so was it was it because your brother was like, "All right, Scott, you're gonna play drums, and I'm gonna go ahead and take guitar, something like that." Right. I don't know exactly. We gotta we happened. gotta we gotta fill a band up. But, but it happened, and then uh, yeah. I mean, they knew they. Yeah. They didn't. I don't think they cared. They didn't care. They weren't like giving us money to go to shows and making sure we had a ride, anything like that. Right, right. Yeah, they weren't like, I'll drop you off at the local VFW or whatever. So, yeah. They just, they kind of tolerated it? They kind of tolerated it. Okay. They, uh, so, I saw this band called uh, Solid State. Okay. Who went on to be Snapcase. Yeah. And they had the the original singer of Snapcase, this kid, Chris Gallas. Sure. Was a fucking awesome front man. Mm-hmm. He just would while out on stage. Sure. And he like he looked good doing it. Right. And I remember seeing that and being like, I could do that. Okay. Like, you know? I could do that. So up until that point, all the shows that you had gone to, like, did you have that desire, like, I would like to play? And up I'd to like... that point I was playing drums right. so well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'd see this front man and I was like, I could do that. Right. So we we were going to this club, the River Rock Cafe, so much. Me and my brother would be at every show. Sure. And so so much that we became friends with the sound man sure. who ran the place, who was the owner's son. Of course. And this was the only club in Buffalo. I right, right. I mean, if... If let's say the Chromax came, they would play a huge place at the rock, like the local rock venue, sure, huge place, right? But any hardcore show, like I saw every band, like yeah, Gorilla, every band you could think of, sure, from that era. Buffalo was really lucky because we're close to New York City, so right. I they wanted to play another place, I sure, a lot of places, a lot of bands, right? So somehow we talked to the owner and mm-hmm. started a band with him. Well, the owner's son. The owner's son. He was basically the man in charge of the venue. Of course. So he played drums. Okay. My brother played guitar. I sang. Right. And we got some other dudes, and we started Slugfest, Slugfest. which is my first hardcore band. Sure. And, you know, it was cool. We could practice at the venue. Sure. That was, I mean, that I, I... it's very a very strategic move of you to like. Did you actually like the dude? Like, was he cool, or was it like? It wasn't strategic. It okay. Was we had no concept of 
anything like that. Uh, no, I mean, it's strategic in the sense of like, wow, we can have a place to practice. Right. Like, you're like, you're like, like the sound, you know, the sound guys. We didn't scheme. We're like, all right. Yeah. Like, we'll invite him in and then that way we can practice there. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. But <laughs> another thing to our advantage that we didn't think of. Yeah. Our first show was with Judge. Like, he yeah. could just get us on show. Totally. Someone's coming through. Here we go. We probably weren't ready to right. play with Judge, but. But um, at, at that age, you have no concept yeah, of whatever, right? Like, I want to play a show, of course. Yeah, yeah. We started sets off with like cover songs. Cover songs, of course. Right? <laughs> Why not? You're like maybe fifty percent of our set <laughs> yeah. will be a cover. It's fine. So we. Uh... And was it one of those things? Like once you like once you actually played your first show with Slugfest, it was it like you're like okay, this this is this is the position I'm comfortable with. Like, as far as, like, singing for a band. I think so. Yeah. I don't know, but I think so. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, it's true, because you've never obviously done something else for a prolonged period of time. I just, that's too long ago. But right. I, I think so. <laughs> right, right. I think once I went to a hardcore show, that was it. I didn't care about anything else. And then probably once I played in a band, I don't think, I don't think that I thought it would ever be like this, that I'd be fucking 39 right. still doing this. Right. For a living, I guess. Right. But... Yeah, I think that was it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, any job I had had to be around going to shows or I was lying to get to the show. Right. I was quitting right. to get to the show. Right. Any girlfriend I had had to fit within the car. Not, not important. Right. If she had a car and could take me to shows, that was cool. <laughs> like, that was important. Right. But, and then, you know, with bands, and then you, you actually start going out of town. Right. To other cities. And then you're like, then there's a whole new the world. Whole new world, there, right, right. Which is cool too, because then you start to, like, I think with more Chris Logan talk. Yeah, I would say he maybe booked our first out of town show, and me and Tim, who ended up being the drummer for Snapcase, were in Slugfest. Right, and um, you know, I think that was our first road trip. That was our first tour. Tour, right, right. Playing Hamilton, which right. was like an hour. Right. But we had to get over the border. Of course. And then we'd go to this different city and he put out the 7-inch. Sure. So that they actually knew some of the songs. Right. And they went wild. And and I remember me, Chris lost money on the show. For right. We, we probably got $50. <laughs> right, right, right. So he probably lost $100. Right. But still paid us. And this was all completely foreign to of us. course you're like yeah you didn't show up being like here's our rider here's <laughs> yeah, our, yeah yeah nothing like no that. of course not <laughs> and if he and he still paid us being like oh i'll lose money but i want you guys to not lose money and we're like he's the coolest <laughs> dude in the whole yeah. that was the most hardcore thing i've ever seen <laughs> in my life you're like who pays bands to play shows like <laughs> yeah. us like yeah, what so and then, you know, eventually we played Detroit and Erie and Syracuse. Right. Like, Syracuse in the 90s was the fucking It was the hotbed, of course. It was insane. Totally. It was... Because you had so... I mean, so many bands, so many kids, like, an actual venue that was yeah. able to do stuff and... And McKegg was just a master of... Right. Booking. Yeah. He knew. I would go to Syracuse at least twice a month and yeah, such it, good shows. Right. That was your spot. The uh, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that you hit on the point where you were saying where it's like obviously you were so focused on hardcore like this was this was your world this is all you want to dedicate your time to this is all you want to dedicate your resources to um, because like I mean for all intent and purposes like people could look at you back then versus you now 
And obviously you've changed and matured and developed in some ways, but in other ways you're like, I'm pretty much the same person I was when I was back then, as far as my focus is concerned. Like, I mean, you're, you're at this point, you're obviously a lifer. You're going to be doing this until like you can't walk probably. Yeah. That might be soon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, and the kind of, kind of what we were talking about before we were recording where it's like, you know, the, because uh, you were definitely, um, and I've always felt this about like, especially what you're doing or what you've been doing with terror over the past, you know, was it 11 years now? Yeah. That you, you were definitely like, I don't care if you're a fan of aggressive music, whatever label you want to put on it, you put you guys up on stage and what it is that you do, people will be fans of it. Like that's just a reality because of like how, you interact with the crowd and like how you are like, you, you're not a, you're not a character on stage, but you know how, how you are. Um, and people, like I said, like I was saying earlier, where it's like people have such a preconceived notion of who Scott Vogel is and like, Oh yeah. Like this is, you were constantly speaking like you do on stage. Like, <laughs> like here's, here's, you know, Vogelism after Vogelism. Like that's just, yeah, it's just like I walk on and I have mad ball on headphones all the time. And, Right. And it's like, it's hard for people to like... If people could imagine that, all I listen to is Coldplay. Right. More than anything else, they'd probably be blown away, you know? Right. And I, I just... And I mean, like, you know, sitting here in your living room, like looking at all the Circus Survive posters, and it's just like... Those are my girlfriends. Right. <laughs> and, and and it's just, it's... it's. I think you're... The, you're what you're into musically and obviously what, I mean, cause in, in every interview and everything that you get across, it's like, you know, you, you definitely admit like, you know, you're not hiding who you are as a person as far as like <laughs> the bands you like. And it's like, I think, I think that's great because obviously it expands kids musical palettes because ultimately they should be listening to stuff. I've had like a, the, the bass player, how water music's come up to me and said, like, you have no idea how many kids tell us like, we saw this singer to Taylor loves you guys. So we check you out and now we love you. And it's like, that's great. So they're like, they're, yeah, they're, the they're your band. band. Yeah. They're your so ba- amazing. Right. And I fucking hated them when I first heard them. Right. When I first heard <laughs> hot water music, <laughs> when I was in buried alive, I lived with almost the whole band. I right. Remember. Right. And they would play hot water music in the van. I was like, this shit's so right. Terrible. terrible. And then there was this one song, uh, Three Summers, mm-hmm. that they'd play. And I was like, this song's fucking awesome. Yeah, you're like, why do I also I would, like this? I literally, when no one was home, go take the cassette ah. out of his That's so great. His room right. and listen to it. Right. And then put it back. Right. You're and like, then eventually one day I was like, yeah, they're not so bad. Yeah. Yo, like, oh, like, when are they playing again? Like, right. you know? <laughs> like, same thing with like. Just like two years ago, uh-huh. we're we're driving and David, our bass player, and yep. our roadie, Smackman, were yep. up front. It was the middle of the night and I woke up and there was this horrible song on and I was like, this is so awesome, but it was so bad. And like, right, right. I don't know if you're going to know the song when I get to it. And I was like, I don't want to ask who it is. I don't want to admit I want to know. And I was like, I just wish one of them would say it. <laughs> and then they're like... Yeah, this is the new Set Your Goals song with the girl from Paramore. I don't know. Do you know that song? Yeah, I know. I know. It's yep. so yep. bizarre. Like, she totally. comes in. She's like, hey, you know that Yep. It totally had me, though. And I was like, oh, 
And so then I was like, I love that song. <laughs> you're like, I'm on board, and man. Like, that's the worst song. It's so weird. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're like, I like it. Well, I and I, I like that you can you can reconcile that in your own head where you're just like, I can admit I like what I like because a lot of people I mean obviously you're older now but like you know when you know when you're a teenager like there's always that sort of like shame factor if like your yeah. friends aren't into it I was like that then. everybody's <laughs> like that yeah and, and I think it's like when you're able to get over that hump and be like you know what like fuck it I, I'm sorry I like this like when when Quicksand came out yep I loved it because it was members of Youth of Today and Girl Business right. but if you would have given me that record blindly and be like Check out this hardcore record. I've been like, get this out of here. This is fucking hardcore, you know, like. Right. <laughs> but they had like the the New York hardcore right, stamp they, on it, so right. it was okay. They had the pedigree. Which so thank yeah. thank God those guys brought some melody into hardcore because I sure needed it. You right. Know? Yeah, you're like but if someone else would have like you know right given it to me, I would like that. No, no, no. This is <laughs> terrible. Um, the. Like, obviously, when you were playing in bands back in Buffalo, like, you know, Slugfest, well, Despair and Buried Alive, like, I mean, well, especially with Slugfest and Despair, like, the concept of, like, making making a living off of a band, like, that didn't really exist. It was making a loss. Right. right. <laughs> it was, like, work all week so you can pay gas money to go play in Cleveland and not even make gas money, so. Right. It's like paying to play. Right. Which was fine. <laughs> Paying, I like that. Paying to play. And the, uh, so like, was, because to me, Buried Alive seemed like the first band that you were able to take, quote unquote, professionally in the sense of like, you could kind of get out there, you had a label to support you that was like, you know, so like, did, but all this time, like you were saying, like, you know, there was never any plan B, like you weren't like, I'm going to have this career, like, or, or was there something always in the back of your head where like, oh, if this I never had a plan A even, though. There was no plan B, but there was no A plan either. It okay, right, right. Play in bands, go to shows, and work telemarketing or whatever right. to be able to live, you know? Right. I don't think I ever thought about... Career anything. type, yeah. Never. Right. I mean, I went to, like, a community college for, like, a semester, and fuck that. And right. The thing with, like, all my bands up till terror, like... We all put out okay songs and played and toured a little, but I was too crazy. Like, right? I was like a fucking Nazi and like would freak out and would want everything done my way. And yeah, so you, I mean, you were like, you were a control freak. Like yeah, that was kind of and an asshole, right? And people, I, I don't know for sure. You'd have to ask them, but I would imagine people would be like, "Fuck this! I don't want to be around this," and like, right? With 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 buried alive, it was like I was like that, and the people in the band started to like get into weird music and mm-hmm. told me to stop talking about hardcore on stage, and I was like, I'm done, you know. Yeah. So every band I did was okay, and you know, got you know, I knew some people, and you know the way right. the way it should work. People give you shows, you let people stay at your house, blah, blah, blah. of course. But we always broke up. So. Right. <laughs> So there was never any... Uh, it, it always rose a little, but right. there was never any potential. Or there was never any... Like... Cool. never really saw what the full potential was. Right, right. And so, uh, like we were mentioning, that those years where, you know, obviously, like, Buried Alive and Ended and Terror had yet to begin. Like, you you know, you were living in Arizona. Like, would... So up, up to that point, were you always living in, in Buffalo? And then you moved to Arizona? That was the first kind of... I lived uh, with Buffalo. Okay. 
Hold on. It's fine. Trying to see this, no, no, that's fine. Take it easy. Just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. These big emergencies. Mm-hmm. I was. I was living in Buffalo, and yep. I started dating this girl in Chicago. Got it. Who I actually met at Victory. Oh, okay. She was the receptionist there. And <laughs> Random. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember I, I went to Victory and saw her, and I was like, oh, she looks, I don't know. Yeah, you're like, she's attractive. So, whatever. We, we were dating, and we wanted to be together, but she didn't want to move to Buffalo. I didn't want to move to Chicago. We just made this plan to move to California. Mm-hmm. And, Buried Alive broke up. Oh, okay. And uh, that's what happened. Okay. Buried Alive broke up. And uh, the plan was always to move to California. Okay. My friend Mark in Arizona. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a crazy story. Okay. I hope he doesn't hear this because it might bum him out. Yeah. Well, but he had if, just, if it's your reality, that's okay. Well, he's my good friend. Right. This is definitely the reality. Right. He had just moved to Arizona uh-huh. and bought a brand new house, like built a house. Oh, okay. With his girlfriend who was going to college there. Got they it. moved down there. She was like, I'm moving back because of she was talking to another guy. Okay. Yes. So he's down there now in this brand new house by himself. <laughs> yeah. The last Buried Alive tour we did with Death Threat. And I knew I was quitting the band because I was going to quit the band before this, but we had already committed to, committed to the right. tour and they canceled a European tour to do this tour with us. And they were my friends. I didn't want to fuck them over. So on this tour, I told them, I was like, yeah, I'm quitting the band and we're probably going to move to California. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why don't you come and live here with me? And he's like, where are you moving? And I was like, we don't know. He's like, come here and live with me and then check out California. And then when you want to go to California, go to California. Yeah. So it's like a little yeah, jumping like, off point. Right. right. And he had this fucking beautiful house. And we're like, he's here all alone. Right. All right. You're Arizona's like, almost California. Whatever. Yeah. It's like six hours away. No big deal. So we moved there. Both got jobs. It was fucking great. I, I got this telemarketing job. I can't even like, obviously knowing who you are, like it, it would be... You you were probably pretty good at that. Oh, it's fucking amazing, at it. right? Like, cause you're you're like I, I imagine it's it was like kind of the same mentality that you you know you were like in high school where you're just like all I'm trying to do is trying to get along with this person and try to get them to obviously. Oh, it was so amazing, really. It was like eighty. It what was, were you selling? It was Sears Home Improvements. Oh, so shit. I'd call people up, yeah, at home to home, and say like, you know, we have appointments for estimates on siding, new windows, right, kitchen cabinets, um. You know, we're going to have someone out in your area. It's a free estimate, no obligation. Yeah. When's better for you? Tuesday or Wednesday? Some people would go, fuck, go fuck yourself. Some people would say Wednesday. <laughs> right. And then you just make the appointment. Right. And obviously the person comes out there and tries to sell them on it. Of course. But that's it, not it your was job. It's a legitimate right. thing. It was well, yeah, Sears, yeah, yeah. too. Of so course. Old people were like, oh, Sears. So it was 80 people in the room or something. Yeah. Just grinding on making so much money. Really? Because you got bonuses on appointments. Of course. And they do things like make eight appointments and go home. I was going home at noon getting paid eight hours. That's incredible. And then then to get to the start of terror, but at the tail end of this loops into it. Yeah. I was so happy, no band. I know you were just kind of you were no existing. No one was fucking judging me. No one was saying I was an asshole. Right. No one thought I was the coolest guy in the world and wanted to fucking talk to me. Right. I was just going to shows in Arizona. Exactly. The scene there was pretty small. Yeah. There wasn't shows all the time, but it was cool. Right. 
And then the first thing, I got a call from 100 Demons. They were like, oh. we want you to sing for us. And I was like. You're like, I don't weigh enough. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> well, first of all, I was like, I just moved to Arizona. No way. And second of all, I was like, you guys. Yeah. People think I'm crazy. You're like really crazy. Right, man. right. You're legitimately. I'm like not, certified. I'm not mean enough. I'm like, maybe my voice is mean enough, but I'm not mean enough. Yeah, totally. But I do think about how that would have worked out. That would have been super. I, I, yeah. I would have been. It could have been really interesting. Yeah. I mean, musically, it's like obviously like That's, not too dissimilar to what yeah, terror is. Cool. Yeah, it could. Yeah, whatever. So I was just like, I just moved here. I can't. Right. You know, if there were hundred demons from L.A., it might have happened. But yeah. Then I got this. Then I came to L.A. Sure. You know, so me and my girl at the time were just visiting San Diego, L.A. And one of the times we came to L.A., uh-huh. I went to Mandel's house. Okay. Yeah. And Larry from mm-hmm. Buffalo, who was my good friend, mm-hmm. gave me this tape. Which was no warning and carry on. Oh yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I got to start a band. I was like, this shit is so good. It made me so psyched. It just put you back in the mentality. I was just like, then I went from I love not being in a band to like being like, fuck eighteen visions. What's this shit? Yeah, this isn't hardcore. I'm I'm turning this whole scene around. (laughs) I was just like, yeah. I was just like, I got to start a band. Yeah, but I was in Arizona and. There wasn't really anyone there to start a band with. Right. So I get this phone call from John LaCroix, who's from 10 Yard Fight from right. Boston. Right. And he's like, hey, Scott. I think it was a voicemail message. Like, I'm starting this. Ba- I heard you moved to Arizona. I'm starting this band in uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. with dudes from Carry On. I was like. I'm listening. I yeah. was like, yeah. So I hit him up. And he started, you know, he that that was the beginning of terror. Right. I drove to L.A., went to Nick's house where he currently lives now. Yeah. And we, I walked in. And what's up? They were both younger, you know. Right. They looked all right. They just looked like typical hardcore kids. Right. And they played. And Nick, you know, for when you're in a hardcore band, you have a shitty drummer. It's not cool. Right. Right. So he was like perfect, and Todd was perfect, and we went out to a strip club. And right. Like, I was like, all right, I'm older than these dudes, but like, I can get down with it. They right, like to look at boobs and they don't mind that I'm drinking and they, right. They know who judges, you know. This is cool, right? So we're like, all right, we're moving to LA anyways. Let's start here. John Lacroix never showed up. He never showed up again. Right. He started the band but never showed up. <laughs> That's incredible. So at the time, I was like, all right, I'll do the band, but I'm in this my job in telemarketing right i'm in this contest to win a caribbean cruise and i'm winning it like oh I can't shit so it was like it was like over like a six month period yeah, or whatever. I'm like, yeah. i can't quit so i go on i win this caribbean cruise amazing go to there come back i'm like the refresh man. right right no i'm like the man at work I okay yeah, yeah. The cruise i walk in and i quit they're like what the fuck Really? Yeah, the next day. Was your boss just like, what? And on the cruise, it was like a, it was like a Sears cruise for the whole company. Oh, so it was, yeah, there yeah. was like these dinners and like, sure. I didn't go to any of them. I right. would see people in the hall like walking. Yeah, yeah. And like, where have you been? I'm just like, just give yeah. them bullshit in. Right. Come back, quit. You move to LA, not far from here. Yeah. The studio, tiny, shitty apartment. Sure. And terror stars. And that's, yeah, I... It's funny that like to hear you describe the reaction of like what you felt when you listened to you know No Warning and Carry On and like the the reaction that because obviously by that time like early two thousands like or I mean no not even that like late nineties 
that was what was happening within hardcore, like all those type of bands, were, especially in Southern California. Like, you know, I mean, like... Especially? Totally. And so, like, I'll never... I, I will never forget when you guys... Because I'm fairly certain that we played this same... Because we both played Hellfest in 2001, I want to say. I can't remember. Um, but you guys... I think you played on... It was... Because you played the same stage as we did. And I was like, this is going to be... Because by this time, I'd seen you guys once or twice. Like, I think I was at, like, the second headline show, like, headline record show you guys did. And it was... I mean... When you guys came out and started to play, it was one of those things where it definitely, you know, there's a different energy with that was like your agenda was being uh, explained very clear, very cohesively. People like, <laughs> OK, like I know what this band's about. There's no mincing words like I get it. But I just remember that reaction at Hellfest being like, Jesus, like, f- are you fucking kidding me? Like people are like. I, I don't remember the show so clearly. Sure. But I remember we had the Eagle shirt. Right. And at that festival, not even the crowd, but so many people in bands were yep. wearing that shirt. Totally. I was like, I was like all right. Yeah. We're on to something. I know. Was it's it, it going to be all right. Was it weird for you to like, you know, kind of hit the ground running and like have so much, um, uh, well, I mean, for lack of a better term, like hype kind of going into it where it was like, oh, wow. Like did we have we have a four song demo, guys. Like calm down. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think everything was happening so fast that right. there wasn't even time. Like you were, but but this, but I mean, you were prepared because you'd done as, it as much as I wish we were a little more prepared. Right, right. We're going on tour with a box of shirts when we should have had like two different designs and a couple boxes, you know. Right, right. And, but at the time, it was just like everything happened fast. Like, right, and you had no time to react besides what was like right in front of you. It was just we started playing and then we just kept getting shows and kept getting tours and i don't think we ever when we started the band i actually i think we did i think we said let's do this as much as possible right and i mean with what i said before like all Mm -hmm. my bands had like started and then just died right i think i wanted to like i think i feel like i had something to prove like well yeah it was your for all intent and purposes, it was like your first real, true, like, go of it. I, and I never felt like I had a... You know, now when I, like, think, like, if you go to a record store... Right. Like stocks records, which is hard to find now. Right. Terror has, like, a section of, like, six records. That's, like, fucking insane to me. Yeah. But at the time, I just wanted to be like, I want to be able to... Go, terror, Buried Alive and Despair had gone to Europe. Yep. But I wanted to go to Japan. I wanted to do all these things. I, and I, I saw... All these people in bands that I thought sucked, right? Doing all these things and drawing five hundred people, right? Which you know, Terror has always been, a, you know, like you said, a straight up hardcore band. So there's only somewhat of an appeal to that, of course. But I think I said, if we're gonna do this, let's do it. I'm mm-hmm. not getting any younger, right? If I'm gonna keep doing bands, let's go for it. And I think that the Nick and Todd were young and hungry, and right. It was just kind of like a, a, a perfect combination of everybody's interests, like, aligning. Because it is, it is difficult when you're younger to have, especially, you know, like, whatever, late teens, early 20s. Because... Girls can ruin everything. Totally. <laughs> and so, and like, yeah, between between relationships, between, like, Parents, career college. demands. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's so fucking hard to keep shit together. Like, the most simplest advice you can, like, you know... Obviously, people ask you all the time, like, oh, fucking, how do you keep a band together? And it's just like, you just you just keep a band together. Like, that's the hardest thing a band can do. So you got to, like, 
you got to have the heart, and if someone gets out, you got to find the right replacement. I mean, we've right. had so many member changes. Yes, you have. It's like <laughs> once someone hints that they're not into it anymore, you can't try to talk them into staying. No, what's that's like your girlfriend you, wants to break up with you if you say, "Please, I'll change." Right, I'll get a rose for you. You're not going to change. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But uh, I mean, every like I think something cool about Terror is like you look at all the different lineups like. We had Todd at one point. Yeah, that was a certain era, and then we had Frank from Integrity yep. and Ringworm, who's now in Hatebreed. That was a different area yep. era, and then we had like Busky and Doug and Carl from First Blood, and like all these people. It, it wasn't like you think of Terror and you're like, who was that dude? Every one of the band was like in other bands and stuff, and right, they're all still doing stuff in involved. So right, well, yeah, we you have this revolving line. I think if you took like a chart of every member of Terror, what bands they were in, and all of our road crew, it'd be like, whoa! It'd probably be pretty. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd probably be able to make the you know like three three degree. Yeah, you know how the, how they do like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Yeah. They probably there's a lot of people that could easily do that with you. Where it's just like, how many bands will it take for me to get to Scott Vogel? Like maybe two, maybe three. <laughs> um, and sort of uh, like you know to to wrap things up. Um, the two things where it's like, can you like, do you find yourself having a difficult time? Like when, just because terror is so active, like when you are home to be able to like decompress and relax, or are you always kind of like forced to think about like, Oh shit, like I got to think about what our next tour is. And like, is it, it's tough for you to kind of like step out of it for a second. When we're off tour, I kind of have a nice balance. Like I wake up early usually nowadays. Yep. And I have my list of things to do like this. That's good. I like that. And I, a lot of them have to do with tear. Right, right. And I do that like a normal job. And that keeps, you know, that keeps uh, our merch stores stocked with new designs. And right. on tour and stuff. And then when the evening hits, I love to just watch TV for like four hours or go to the movies or do right. normal things. So. Right. But yeah, I'm always on terror. My mind's always on terror. I'm not... You know, there's people in the band that don't do too much, which, you know, you don't need five liters. Yeah, too many cooks in the kitchen, I, right? I, I keep everything going and, and, you know, yeah, I still have that control freakness in me. Yeah. It's not the same anymore. I don't try to present it as a asshole. No. It's just... Honestly, because that's like, I'm glad you mentioned that because like I, when, when I was working with you at Century Media, that was, I mean, obviously I was already going into it having respected you as a person and like, you know, considered you a friend. And, like, yeah, no, but like the, <laughs> uh, in all of the, you know, in any issues that we had professionally or whatever, like you, you were, you were well-tempered about it. I, I mean, I, I, I will be completely honest in admitting like, I was scared to deal with you like business wise and like not like just because it's like, you know, I mean, it's tough, like especially when you're in the hardcore scene and you're kind of like, well, there are a lot of friends that work together and sometimes those, you know, relationships default, you know, that shit. But once I started to work with you and everything that we were working on together, I was like, well, for one, you were on top of it. Two, you weren't afraid to call the label on its shit. And three, you were also willing to listen, like actually listen to me if I was explaining something. And I was like, it, for me, it just it, it marked any sort of negative impression I had from you know oh fucking like you're saying Scott Bogle's a fucking asshole like <laughs> difficult to deal with or whatever it was kind of all thrown out where I was just like no like if you are coming at me like heated you know we're able to talk about it and get through it like adults do like normal people should do and so I, I think that just like you were saying that kind of you know with age comes 
a temperance of like being able to compress <laughs> and be able to like, all right, I can not things. I remember like I can remember like being in a van driving to DC and yep. get a flat tire, and I'd be like, if we miss the show. The band's over. My whole world's going to end. Now if we get a flat tire, I'm like, wow, we might miss the show. Can we just go to a hotel right now? Like, everything will be okay. (laughs) Right. You're like, it's not so life or death. Like, that is the way, that is the name of the terror song, but that is completely (laughs) fun. like, I can really remember being like, if this van breaks down right now, I'm going to run, I'm going to jump in front of a moving car. Right. Now I'm just like, yeah. God, can we have the day off? Right. You're like, can, people don't need to see us again tonight. This is our, this is our third time through <laughs> Omaha in, in a year and a half. They're okay. Yeah. Um, and the uh, I think this will be a good spot to wrap up where um, the – because obviously because you've done so much random shit within the hardcore scene, like the have – there, have there been any sort of like – out of body moments where it's like, you know, either it was like a a distinct show or festival that you were playing where it was just like, this is weird. I can't believe like it gave you a perspective. Weird or good? Like, like, I mean, weird, like in a good way where you're just like, this is weird. Like you were saying, you're like, you know, I I can't believe that I've been able to do terror as a a career or whatever. Like if there was any of those like distinct moments that like, like I said, you sort of floated out of your body and you're like, wow, this is. We, we, played this with full force festival yep i'm in, familiar in germany uh two years two summers ago okay and this would have been like the fifth time we played it but we've always played the small stage and the small stage is ten thousand people the big stage is when we played it was like 20 30,000 people and it's a huge fucking stage it's fucking insane and we had watched bands you know we we did the, the second stage good right like crazy they moved us to the big stage. And I remember getting up there and waiting. Because you have like an hour. There's someone on the small stage where you set up. Oh, okay. And I'm like, it's the daytime. It's probably like 3 o'clock. And I'm looking and the crowd starts filling in. And I'm like drinking more to get through this. And I'm fucking scared shitless. And we start playing. And I, th- I think people... Like, the organizers estimate how many bands. Of course. They said, like, 27,000 people watched us. And they went fucking crazy. That's it was amazing. insane. Right. And, it, like, I have pictures of it. I've seen videos of it. And it's, like, insane. And, like, after that... You know, and then the next day, that's the weekends. The next day, you go play for 100 people. Right. And, like, with a no stage. Right. In Belgium or wherever. Yeah, 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 yeah. anywhere. So, like... After that, I was like, "Tear!" Like, I have so much respect for Tear because we still do stuff like that. We still love stuff like that, and we'll still, you know, go play a tiny tour, and then we'll get offered a huge tour and go into it with the same attitude and bring the same road crew and play the same set list. And right, we're just us, and we get opportunities. And we don't let them go to our head. Yeah. And we just, we just keep, we're like this machine now. And then, you know, like even when we're home, like two, a week ago, there was like, um, this band Rude Awakening played yep. at that Aladdin's place. Yeah. Yeah. With Soul Search and stuff. Me, Nick and Martin got in a car and went to the show together. Just, right. you know, it's just like, 
it's just stuff like that, the highs and the lows, and the low being playing in a sweaty club for 100 people isn't that much of a low, but right. the ups and the, I don't know how to say it. Well, I mean, it definitely is an emotional, like, it's a come down. To see that we can still stay level-headed through all this and love the huge shows and play the tiny shows and love them as much. Right. But in the end, always know we're just this hardcore band. We're yeah. We're not anything special. We don't walk around and think people should think we're super cool. Right. That's like, that's where we're at and that's hopefully where we'll stay. Right. I think that's where we'll stay and if we don't, then the band will break up. Yeah, Because yeah. at this point, what are we going to do? Right. Change right. our sound, change our look. Yeah, yeah. Probably put some pop elements into it. Yeah, no. It's not going to happen, so. No, no. No, I think that's perfect. I, I think that's like, if there's any lesson that people can take from like, and I've, I've said this before on this, this show where it's like, it's just managing expectations where it's like, you know, like when you, when you approach, you know, a touring life where it's just like, all right, like here's the bare minimum of people that need to show up in order for me to kind of enjoy myself. It can be 40, it can be 500, whatever, wherever you're at mentally. But as long as like you go into it with that mentality rather than like, Oh, this like it'll be sold out and it'll be it'll be cool. Like the funny thing is, the forty person show can be better than the five hundred person show. It totally can, depending on your mind state and the forty people. It to- yeah, exactly. Like that, it's just like managing expectations and like like I, the like how you said where it's like you're a machine where it's like one thing that I always think about when when we started out. I don't know how many people told us. Yeah, we're the next hate breed. Oh yeah, you're the next hate breed. Totally. You're the next hate breed. You're totally. the next hate breed. And Clearly, we're not the next Haybreed. Right. You know, we're terror. Right. You're t- we never got as big as Haybreed. We right. never got as professional as Haybreed. And I think for – I could have seen <coughs> terror at a point being like, we're supposed to be the next Haybreed and we're not. Fuck it. But everyone still was very comfortable with who we are. And Right. Know, I love Haybreed. They're, they're one of my favorite bands. But I don't think we were ever destined to be Haybreed. Right. Be – you know, they're, yeah. they're a different band and they're on a different level than us. Right. I think we were destined to be the, the trail we're on. But I could see, you know, I could never be in, in Martine's brain or Nick's brain or anyone. No. But at some point I could see Nick saying, we're supposed to be the next hate breed. Why am I still in this fucking van? Fuck this. I'm going to do something else. But none of us ever did. Yeah. And that, that keeps me feeling good about it. No, that's a huge, that, that, I think that's a huge point where you, it's, it's just as easy to get chewed up by the quote unquote hype machine and you can view that however you'd like and be spit out bitter and jaded where you're just like why the fuck did we not get that ticket why the fuck did we not get that tour why did we not get that record deal yeah but you're you're like well we didn't because we're terror and this is why because we were drunk because <laughs> we were drunk and being mean to everyone who wants to take a bunch of mean drunks on tour they might beat your band up <laughs> well I, I don't think there's any more perfect way to end that interview with that 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 quote that, that sums it all that, up. that quote just sums it all up but i i appreciate it scott thank you for hanging out and wanting to do this no problem that was fun <laughs> so there you go uh that was scott vogel and um yeah just good dude huh like listening back to that it just um you know further solidifies his awesomeness and I'm just glad that he is obviously doing as well as he's doing. It's always great to see people like that be able to, you know, carve out their own path and, uh, you know, just figure out a line of vision that they want to pursue, and then they go for it. Um, I just love the fact, like when we were talking about telemarketing, it just still, it, like, 
thinking of myself and being like on the other line of Scott Vogel calling me, trying to sell me whatever he was trying to sell, just like blows my mind. So anyways, until next week, visit propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. And um, yeah, be safe out there. Bye.